Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Well, everyone, we're so glad you're with us today. And I know that we start off every podcast by saying we are so excited for our topic today, but we really are excited for what we're going to talk about. We wanted to discuss what we would call five principles that could strengthen any marriage. And we want it to be a little different. We didn't want to just repeat what's already been said hundreds of times about communication or meeting each other's needs or going on dates together. We wanted to to do something a little bit different today. And that's the angle we're going to approach this from. Yeah, we just kind of came up with some five kind of maybe different outside the box, box kind of maybe tips and tricks that... I'm sure most marriages do, but we just thought we would talk about them and and uh, pump them up again. <laughs> just kind of highlight those, yeah, yeah, highlight those those ideas. Yeah. But before we get started, I just wanted to do a little uh, commercial here for Mark's new podcast. It's called Stand By My Servants. And with General Conference coming up, I thought this would be a great time to plug his podcast again. He goes through and talks about the importance of profits in our latter days and he is doing an individual podcast on each of the 15 apostles and prophets. And it's he talks about them, their life, their history, their stories, and then he does their teachings. They're really, really awesome. And so if you want, or they're really good for you, your family, family home evening, to listen to the stories of these brethren, to understand where they're coming from and to learn to love them so that as we head into general conference, you have a better idea of where these men come from and their hearts and their testimonies, their lives and how the Lord has prepared them for their roles as apostles and prophets. Yeah. No, thank you for saying that. I Yesterday we interviewed Rob Eaton. Rob Eaton was one of the authors on the biography of President Irene. It's really awesome to have access to these people that live in this area, you know, so we can have and Rob just shared some wonderful, wonderful insights about President Irene's life. So that's certainly worth a, a listen to, so to speak. And we will be reviewing uh, how to prepare for conference here, I think, uh, next week. So, yeah, a lot to think about. And with all of these, you know, not, not only that podcast, but this one, too, we, we would invite you to share it with anyone who could use some help or strength or just or fortification. Right. And you can find um, his website, standbymyservants.com, or anywhere podcasts are found. So Right. And this one is preservingfamilies.org. And our email, because some of you have emailed asking for those qu- quotations, that selection of quotations from last time on Hope for Hurting Parents. And I think I gave you a couple weeks ago the wrong, <laughs> the wrong email address. It's preservingfamiliespodcast at gmail.com. Anyway. Awesome. Okay. Well, let's get started. Enough business there. (laughs) Okay. So today we're going to talk about these few principles. We're just going to kind of talk about marriage in general. And, and to start off, I heard this interview by Kelly Rippa. And for those that don't know who Kelly Rippa is, she does the, the talk show every morning on TV called live with Kelly and Mark. It used to be Kelly and Ryan, then it used to be Kelly and Regis, and Regis Philbin, <laughs> anyway. But now she does it with her heart, with her husband, Mark Consuelos. And they've been married for like 30 plus years, and they're just a great, cute couple. Um, 
got a good family. Anyway, but here's what she said. And I thought this quote was so great to kick off our topic today. And here's what she said. She said, we, in, in someone asking her, this is an interview, someone asking her how they have preserved their marriage, you know, through Hollywood, through being a star, living in New York City, and just all the challenges of all life. All the fame and fortune, yeah. yeah. And she said, we know how to be married. We understand what that takes. And that you aren't always going to be on the roller coaster of going up and down and the tickling in your tummy that you feel. There are hard days of marriage. There are tough days. And there are fights and there are challenges. And there are all sorts of things that didn't come at you when you were dating and super hot for each other. Mm -hmm. But if you have a mutual admiration and respect, and if you like each other and you are friends with one another, all that other stuff comes and goes in waves. But as long as you keep being each other's champions... I always say we don't compete with each other. We push each other up the hill. We pull each other up the hill. And that is the secret to an enduring relationship. Well said. I thought that was really a great insight that I loved how she said, we know how to be married and what it takes. Because I don't think a lot of people do. I think a lot of young couples go into marriage, just wait, get excited about the marriage date, you know, they're excited about, they think that that's maybe the ending point where they get through all the wedding festivities and the parties and the planning and the registry and all that's involved with the wedding. And then all of a sudden they're married and then it's like, well, now what, you know? <laughs> well, and I think the expectations are so high also. I think there's this expectation that that, that a marriage is going to be this romantic kind of ex experience every single day of our lives. Yeah, skipping down a beach, holding hands, pic right. picnicking in the park, watching the sunset. <laughs> right. And and a lot of people are probably blown away when they realize, oh, you actually have to work at this. And some days it's not easy. Yeah, and some and days are mundane. Some days just are bill paying and work and chores and cleaning the house and... Some of those things, yeah. Right. And so anyway, I I liked that from her and 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 it's true that that marriage is kind of like a roller coaster and it's kind of in waves and you know, we just have to be ready for what comes. I'm afraid to ask you where we are on the roller coaster today. Are we higher <laughs> or we, we low? up or down? <laughs> so I think that's a great transition and leads us right into what we'll call principle one. Enjoying just the ordinary everyday part of marriage. I think newlyweds are probably surprised at, at how little they're, uh, I don't want to say that the romance kind of runs dry or that they're not just on this elaborate date every night of the week or they're planning their next cruise or whatever, that so much of marriage is enjoying the ordinary part of it because marriage is working together. It's cleaning the garage. It's pulling weeds. It's paying the bills. It's homemade sandwiches on Saturday afternoons. It's sitting with each other later as your children get older at their games and talking to each other and those around you. It's wait, waiting up late at night for a teenager and, and then going to work the next day exhausted. It reminds me of something that President Hinckley didn't say, but he loved to quote that Jenkins Lloyd-Jones Lloyd famous statement that anyone who imagines that bliss is normal is going to waste a lot of time running around shouting that He's been robbed. The fact is that most putts don't drop. Most, most beef is tough. Most children grow up to be just ordinary people. And most successful marriages require a high degree of mutual toleration. Most jobs are more often dull than otherwise. And life is like an old-time rail journey. Delays, sidetracks, smoke, dust, cinders, and jolts. Interspersed only occasionally by beautiful vistas and thrilling bursts of speed. And the trick is to thank the Lord for letting you have the ride. 
<laughs> I love that. I think that just sums up marriage totally, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and I hope that people are getting the right idea, right? As we convey this, I hope people aren't thinking that we're saying, yeah, marriage, guys, it's life on the rock pile. You just got to deal with it because... I think marriage can be exciting every day. I love coming home every day and seeing you and hugging you, kissing you and, and talking to you. I mean, that's a great, but that's what it is. I mean, it's not that uh, we're coming home and tonight we're going to a, a $200 dinner and then a, a show. We're going to come home and talk about our day and eat dinner together and whatever else. But But that's what marriage is. Marriage is just doing life together, right? Right. It's whatever it is, the highs, the lows, the in-betweens. It's just being there for each other, have someone constantly there, having your best friend, your partner beside you to do this life, whether it's crazy or whether it's wonderful, whether it's lows or highs. And that's what marriage is. And that's what I hope young people understand as they're getting married, that it's just having your partner there You know, to hold your hand through it all, someone to cry with, someone to laugh with, someone to experience all of the highs, lows, and in-betweens of marriage. And and that doesn't mean that you can't have fun. We want you to. We want there to be, I always have to have something to look forward to, you know, but I, but I always say, Janie, and I've said it to you many times, but I, I don't care where we go. If you're with me, then it's going to be great because I love, I love just being with you, right? And sometimes that means that does mean that we are picking weeds in the backyard, you know, or, or whatever. Now I know that may not be a thrill to you, but. No, but it's just, (laughs) it's awesome. And like I said, like president Hinckley quoted is that the trick is to thank the Lord for letting you have the ride. I mean, I think so many people get, you know, Oh, this is boring life. So, you know, but be grateful that you have a marriage, be grateful that, you know, especially if it's an honorable marriage (laughs) that you have someone by your side and, you know, there's a lot of people praying for that. There's a lot of people praying for what you have right now. So make the best of it. Look mm-hmm. for the positive. Look, you know. But don't be disheartened if you feel that your marriage is ordinary in some ways, because that's real life. I mean, that's what marriage is. Marriage is driving those kids to their carpools every day. Marriage is checking in with the, on the phone together. Marriage is eating grilled cheese sandwiches together, <laughs> you know. And, and And like you said, thank the Lord for allowing you to have that ride, because... It is so awesome. The next principle that we kind of identified that maybe we just need to be reminded of, it's not anything earth-shaking, right? but we need to be all in. We need to be in 100%. I think I hear a lot that people, you know, marriage is 50-50 and you need to pull your weight 50-50, but no, marriage is 100%, 100%. Both couples or both individuals need to be in 100% to make a marriage work. So I'm a big Brene Brown fan. For those of you that have never heard of her, don't know who she is. She's a professor, lecturer, researcher, author, podcast host. But she gave a great example one day on a a reel that I watched. And she was talking about how in their marriage, they have days where they know that they are not running at 100%. So she said... (laughs) You mean like all of us? (laughs) Yeah. So she said they have this, this plan that they have that they'll come in and they'll say... Honey, at the end of today, I'm running on a solid 20. And she's like, hey, honey, it's okay. I gotcha. I'll do dinner. I'll get the kids where they need to be. You just go, you know, take care of what you need to. And then she said other days, you know, he'll come in or she'll come in and and say, honey, I'm running at a 10. And he's running like, and he says, I'm running at a solid 25. And if she said, if we don't have 100% between the two of us, 
we know that we need to sit down and figure out how to be kind to each other because we are not running on, you know, our full. Is this because they're having conflicts with each other? No, she said it could just be the day, the stress. She said Mm. her mom has been ill. You know, if you're just running low on patience, on kindness, on stress, on whatever's hitting you that day. But they have this code. Instead of attacking each other and being snarky and snippy at each other and going, having conflict, they, they call out what it is. They, you know, express just in a percentage and they were like, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to cancel this tonight. We're cancel our friends. We're not going out to dinner. We're just going to stay home and hunker down, you know, or whatever. Heal, they, heal up. We're going to heal right. up. They, need, they know what they need to do to get back to 100%. But I love the whole idea of if you have your partner and your partner is not working at a, a solid whatever, <laughs> that we... We we can recognize that and be and have grace, right? And be lenient and say, okay, honey, that's okay. I I got the kids tonight. I know you're in a bad place. And then other nights they can do that for us. When we just have had a horrible day, you know, how great would it be for a husband to come in and say, honey, I got this. You go, you just go take a drive. You go take a walk. I got the kids tonight. But I just think that was so in tune of them that they do that and they can recognize that in each other that, you know. They just be transparent like that, right? Right. And I love the fact that they're together, they're making 100%, you know, that they're trying. And sometimes we have to, you know, make a difference up with our spouse. And sometimes our spouse makes up the difference with us. But bet- between the two of us, we are trying to be all in at 100%. <laughs> right. And I, you know, the example that I think of, are, are there have been times in our own marriage where one of us was having a difficult relationship with one of our kids. We just weren't hitting, hitting it off right. We were just in a little bit of conflict and... The other spouse would say, "Hey, let me let me take this, right? Let me." You would say to me, "Let me let me take the hard stuff with that kid, and you just work on the relationship." Yeah, you just build up. And let then me, there were other days where I would say, "Let me take this, <laughs> and you work on the relationship, and I'll deal with the hard stuff." But you know, anyway, I think that's a great concept and a great principle that we need to be transparent. We need to be teammates, you know, and we need to be able to say, hey, you know what? I'm playing on a broken foot today. I'm going to need your help, you know, or whatever. And I do. I think that's great. And I hear a lot of people complain, you know, that, oh, my husband's not carrying his weight. He doesn't do this and he doesn't. I have to do so much. I have to do this. And and there's might be seasons and times where that's true in a marriage, you know, where sometimes we do have to pick up the slack because, you know, I know there's certain weeks or months that, you know, Mark, that you're going like stressed out of your mind and you have 10 deadlines and, you know, heavy things going on. And I know this month, okay, I just need to pull, I need to pull harder. Like Kelly Ripa said, sometimes we pull each other. Sometimes we have to push each other up the hill, but that's what we do as teammates. And that's how we are all in and invested in our marriage. All right. I think that's, uh, that's great. In fact, I love the idea of being all in. It's 100, 100. It's intentional. It's purposeful. We're working at it. And it does remind me of something that one of our, Church leaders said years ago, Elder Dean L. Larson of the Quorum of the Seventy, he said, marriage is not an easy venture. And I repeatedly encounter the illusion today, especially among our younger people, that perfect marriages happen simply if we just put the right two people together. And he said, this is untrue. Marriages don't succeed automatically. And those who build happy, secure, successful marriages pay the price to do so. And they work at it constantly. Now, something to add to this, Janie, because it's a little bit different. Maybe we have another window open here off to the side from what you're talking about on being all in. But marriage work, once again, is not life on the rock pile. It's not a prison sentence. It's fun. It's exciting. 
Marriage work is me looking at you and saying, hey, let's go eat steak tonight. Well, that would be... Because you know I've had a bad day. <laughs> <laughs> or, or saying, hey, you know what? We're going to go down to St. George for a time and we're going to do this. Or I have a trip coming up for a conference and I would love it if you came. That's marriage work. It's not like pulling teeth out of someone with no anesthesia, right? <laughs> and yeah, and, when, and work, you know, I think has a bad connotation, but work is just meaning getting to know each other, you know, helping each other through. And we, when we get married and commit and covenant to do this for life and forever, you know, this is just learning the growth pattern that comes with learning to get along, to be in a relationship, to build a life, to build a marriage, to build a family. Yeah. So yeah, I think... I, I, work does have a bad connotation, but it should be fun, right? It's fun right, work. Right. And you're learning how to spin off of each other. You're learning what each other's strengths and weaknesses are. You're learning that, okay, I'm going to have to do that. I remember in our early in our marriage, you hated talking on the phone with like pe- bill collectors, <laughs> where now you're the one who would do that, right? If that ever happened. <laughs> or someone trying to sell us a, a telemarketer. I'm or, like, give them to me. <laughs> yeah. Now you're like, okay, let me talk to that guy right now. But uh, anyway... Great. So why don't we transition to the third principle, which is one that I see a lot. I see it not only in my counseling work, but I see it in our wards and stakes. And it's the idea of comparison, that oftentimes we compare ourselves to other couples. So not just individual comparison, but a couple comparison. Compare our marriages to other people. Or even family. I mean, people compare families all the time, right? And And you can sense sometimes when someone's jealous of someone else or really mad or it seems like can't be happy for another couple or whatever but but a great rule of thumb in, in this principle three is you just don't compare your marriage to the marriages of others we know that comparison is a thief of joy that's a quote that goes around a lot if you're always looking over your shoulder out of the corner of your eye at the other couple across the street or next door and, and then looking at your own marriage, you may fall short, right? Because once again, in all comparisons, we're comparing, you know, our weak spots to someone else's highlight reel or, or to their strengths. And one of the things that people don't understand is what always goes on behind closed doors. For example, I know a couple that the wife is not happy that her husband is not super romantic. He's just not. That's just not his nature. He's not a romantic guy. But he's the one that helps with the kids every day. He's the one that helps change the diapers. He's the one that drives the kids to school. You know, he's super involved with his children's life. And maybe the next door neighbor who's Mr. Romance and maybe he's not doing any of that stuff. Maybe he's never changed a diaper in his life, you know. Well, comparing, it kind of reminds me of like, have any of you ever been to the Parade of Homes, you know, where you go, you go take these tours of these incredibly beautiful homes with all the bells and whistles and all the newest, latest, you know, they're so shiny and they're just amazing. And then you go back home to your house and you're like, oh, this is what I got. (laughs) you know. And I think that's why, I mean, that's what comparing does. You know, you look at all these other people and you assume the best, just like people on social media, you know, you like, oh, there's taking these incredible trips. They, they're so romantic. Look at this beautiful picture of them on the beach, you know, and then you're just looking at your mundane life and it just, it's depressing and you can't do that. You have to look at the joys in your own marriage, the, the highs that, you know, go on behind the scenes, the tender moments and the sweet things that your spouse does for you or reaches out to you that you aren't displaying online and that other people aren't seeing. And just remember that a lot of that stuff is facade. You know, I I sometimes feel like, 
the more people post, it's like the more they're trying to show how great their marriage is because maybe it really isn't. <laughs> right. And so. And we've seen that, right? I mean, we, we've seen that and I don't mind saying it out loud so everyone can hear, but I literally have seen couples post things on social media about how wonderful their life is and how amazing their marriage is and how incredible their kids are. Only to actually know the truth behind that, that that marriage is on the cusp of of ending, that they have severe, significant problems in their family. And wow, sometimes it's like, man, that I don't know. I'm not sure what they're trying to say here by by making that post, but obviously they're trying to compensate for something. But I think that goes on every day. I mean, I think we have a lot of that. Right. So don't compare. Don't compare yourselves. Don't compare your marriage. Don't compare your family. Just do you, stay in your own lane. Everybody look at, you know, what's going on and just be appreciative and grateful for what's going on in your own home. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be a tip that we have. It's a great tip. Well, here's one of my favorite stories. And I'm going to share it with you because I love the book by Blaine Fowers called Beyond the Myth of Marital Happiness. And this story, I don't know why, but it just, it just seeps deep into my heart every time I read it. A child thought his parents were different from married people in the movies. They didn't say sweet things to each other. He never saw his parents kiss or show any kind of affection. He used to feel unhappy about it until the day the dam broke and their farm flooded. He was put in the attic for safety and he lay there in the dark shivering while the rising water lapped at the foundations of their house. In his fear for himself and his parents, he looked out the attic window. Lightning split the dark. And he saw his parents up to their thighs in swirling water. And by the way, I'm just visualizing this scene of this kid up in the attic and he's looking out into the dark and the lightning lights up the whole sky. And there he sees this silhouetted image of his parents. His parents were up to their thighs in swirling water, walking shoulder to shoulder with their heads down against the wind. His mother had an armful of frightened chicks she'd rescued from the hen house. His father was carrying a newborn lamb. This boy saw his parents in that scene for only a fraction of a second, but he never worried about whether they acted like loving couples in the movies. He was convinced that his parents had something far stronger than what he saw in the movies. Now, once again, by comparison, that couple and maybe their lack of affection would not have impressed too many people. But that young man saw that, wow, my mom and dad have a deep love for each other. And that was that's a super cool thing to think about. On the other hand, in kind of a contrast to the story that I just shared, years ago, I knew a couple pretty well that took pride in their marriage and how wonderful their marriage was, but they didn't have any trouble telling you that. They love to tell people, we don't ever fight. We don't ever argue. They made sure that they were showing a huge public display of affection and any interaction. Whenever they were around people, it was almost like they were saying, hey, everyone, Look at us. We have this amazing marriage. Well, that was several years ago, and I've made, been made aware recently that that couple is in serious trouble in their marriage today, having massive struggles. And so it's just a reminder that we just don't, don't compare because we never know what's going on behind closed doors. So principle number four, we've been told our whole life... And taught right from the scriptures. That there is opposition <laughs> in all things. Right. And all... Con- and, and, that includes marriage. That includes family. That includes every relationship we're in. There is opposition in all things. And it's okay. That's why we're here. Conflict is okay. Right. And sometimes we don't hear that. You know, sometimes we think, oh my gosh, we're fighting. We have disagreements. We don't get along that well sometimes. 
And that's what relationships and marriage is. So it's okay. In fact, I talk to a lot of engaged couples and they'll start to have some conflict because they're beginning to work some things out and make some decisions and not agreeing on everything. And, and often they'll they'll come in and say, I don't know if we should get married. We just don't. We're just having some conflict. Well, in my mind, no, you're working this out. You're blending two lives together. And so, yeah, you're going to have some opposition and you're not going to see everything the same way. And it's okay. Yeah. That reminds me of that funny Jay Golden Kimball quote where he says, I have often wondered what would happen if a perfect man married a perfect woman. I'll bet he would shoot her inside of a week if she didn't poison him first. <laughs> Only Jay Golden Kimball can get away with that, right? <laughs> when obviously we know that that's, you know, that really wouldn't happen, but it's just showing that, you know, it's two perfect people. There's no such thing. It's just not going to work. Right. Here's another one that's fun for me because a lot of people may not know, but George Albert Smith had a reputation for being the most kind, the most Christ-like prophet ever. It was so kindly. But he said, you know, when I was growing up, I never saw a difference of opinion between my father and my mother. And I used to think it was a miracle. And after I'd been married for 20 years, I knew it was a miracle. (laughs) Or in other words, he, this most Christ-like prophet is even admitting that, oh yeah, in our marriage, it is it is not perfect at all. You know, this reminds me of someone I know very well who's probably in their 80s or 90s now. But they told me this story years ago that this person, this woman, grew up in a home where her parents never fought. Well, it turns out at least she thought her parents never fought. Her parents decided that they would never argue or fight in front of their children, which I'm sure there's some wisdom to that. But the downside of that is that the children grew up thinking that, yeah, if you're happily married, you don't ever argue, fight, have a conflict, have a disagreement. And so that's just what she thought, that that's what constituted a good marriage. And then when she got married, she and her husband, her first husband, I should say, uh, had conflict and disagreement right out of the gate. And that marriage lasted for six or seven months because in her mind, oh, something is majorly wrong with our marriage if we're having this conflict. And we need to end this before we get too deep into it. And they did. And you know what? So sad. They probably could have worked those things out. Now, research tells us that every single marriage will have about 10 issues that the couple will never resolve. 10. Now, what do a lot of people do? They get out of that relationship. They go marry someone else. Well, now guess what? Now you're going to have 10 unresolvable issues with that person in your second marriage. Now you've got 20 unresolvable issues you're dealing with. And I know, Janie, in our marriage, there have been times, it hasn't happened a lot, but there have been times where we've looked at each other and said, you know what? I'm not, I'm not going to ever agree with that. I'm sorry. It's just not yeah, part of my we're DNA. We're just going to have to agree to disagree. Right. And we know exactly what they are. <laughs> we could talk about them right now, right? We could start a whole fight right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we could. And and once again, I'm madly in love with you. I, I'm not going to let that ruin our life or our relationship. But my point is, is it's okay if a married couple... Uh, you know, if a husband and wife see things differently. Well, that's just normal. We come from two totally different backgrounds. We were raised differently. You're a man. I'm a woman. Like we I have see... a different blood type than you. <laughs> we see the world so different and it's okay. Right. You can still be happily married. You can still love each other. We can still have so many things we do agree about and we enjoy mm-hmm. together. But there's just certain things that just... Sorry. Not going to do it. Yeah. yeah, It's just going to be different. (laughs) And I I just don't think, I don't think even we realize that early on in our marriage. Right. Right. I think we beat something so hard that, and then we had to come finally agree like, okay, we just can't even go there anymore. And it's fine. And now we laugh about it because yeah, we just don't go there because we know 
Yeah, it's okay. We're just, we're just we we still love together. each other for all the other million reasons. Right, right. You know, that reminds me of the James Dobson quote. I really like James Dobson for a couple reasons. One, he's a Texan. And number two, he's a great Christian psychologist. And uh, his his work on Focus on the Family out of Colorado Springs, that's a good stuff. Focus on the Family cranks out some good material if anyone's interested. But he said, it's naive to expect two unique and strong-willed individuals to mesh together like a couple of machines. Even gears have multiple cogs with rough edges to be honed before they will work in concert. And a good marriage is not one where perfection reigns. It's a relationship where a healthy perspective overlooks a multitude of unresolvables. And guess what? Yes, there will be some... Amen, (laughs) amen, Yeah, there will be some unresolvables. And I, I often think, look, even in our own church history, you know, some of our greatest people have had conflict in their relationships. You know, one of them is Joseph and Emma, uh, Joseph Smith and Emma Smith, you know, and some of you know that that story that one morning he's translating the Book of Mormon and there had been some kind of offense and uh, they disagree. They get into a little tangle there and Joseph goes upstairs to tr- try to translate again. It doesn't work. He can't even translate a single syllable. What does he do? He goes out into the orchard and prays for direction. An hour later, he gets up off his knees. An hour later, think about that for a minute. He gets up off his knees, goes directly into his house, and asks for Emma's forgiveness. And then he's able to commence the translation. Maybe even more, I I just love this story because it's so real. But uh, it was Spencer Kimball, Spencer W. Kimball and Camilla. And he may even even been the stake president at the time when this happened, but... They just could not agree on what to do with some extra money. They had some extra money. Camilla wanted to save this extra money that they had come into to get a new house. But President Kimball wanted to take the money and travel. He wanted to go on a trip with the family. They couldn't agree. So Camilla and the children stayed home and Spencer loaded up the car and went on a family vacation by himself. And I don't know why, but I just have a feeling he had a great time, you know? (laughs) So that reminds me of a story that we've all read a hundred times, right? Because it's at the beginning of the Book of Mormon. Right. But the story of Lehi and Sariah, where Sariah kind of has a meltdown and complains against Lehi. She's got good reason to right. as well, right? Right. He had sent his sons back to get the plates, and she's terrified. She hasn't caught the vision yet of why they're there. And so she complains to Lehi and says, you're a visionary man. You've let us out of this land of inheritance of our inheritance and they left all their goods and worldly things there. Our sons are no more and we are going to perish in the wilderness. So in other words, she thinks her sons are dead and that they're going to die next. Right. right? And after this manner of language had my mother complained against my father. And I think that's interesting that he said that after this manner of language. I think Nephi wants us to know that my mom was complaining. Yeah. Right? But, but once again, let's frame it for a second and say that if any of us had any of those experiences, lost all of our possessions, our children are dead, and we're going to die. That would <laughs> Can be... you imagine the stress level in that marriage? <laughs> that's, yes, that's super <laughs> significant. Wow. Right. And so as she's having this freak out, you know, then Lehi says to her, and it, my father spake to her, I know I'm a visionary man, for if I had not seen the things of God in a vision, I should not have known the goodness of God, but had tarried at Jerusalem and had perished with my brethren. But behold, I have obtained a land of promise in the which we do, I do rejoice. And I know that the Lord will deliver my sons out of the hands of Laban and bring them down into us in the wilderness. 
And after this manner of language did my father Lehi comfort my mother Sariah concerning us while we journeyed in the wilderness. And I've always loved that because I was like, I know I've had freak out moments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Mark, you're really good too at just like Lehi at talking me down, talking me off the ledge, you know, and calming me when my, you know, when I have my freakouts. And I think this is what a marriage is, right? Like she, she was accusing her husband of all this, but he spoke kindly to her. He spoke calmly. He spoke with the spirit of the Lord, testified that he was, had had a vision that this was of God and it made all the difference. Yeah, and I love that, you know, once again, Nephi said it in that verse 6, that after this manner of language did my father, he wants us to know how his dad was handling that conflict and how he returned maybe her unkindness with kindness, you know, and and how he, you know, gave her that comfort by saying those, you know, echoing those kind words and soothing her. And once again, we use this story to illustrate two points. Number one is that every couple is going to have conflict in their lives. There's even the best, a prophet and his wife in this case are having conflict. But number two, the way to, let's learn from Lehi. I mean, think of the, I mean, Janie, you know that I'm defensive sometimes, right? So could you imagine uh, basically you you blaming me for all these these significant things that are Killing happening? Killing our children, <laughs> yeah. starving. And we're going to die next and me going, oh yeah, well, you know what you did, you know, or whatever. And I love the way Lehi absorbs it, you know, and just processes it and then responds so kindly. It's a, this is a great example to me of of how we can deal with conflict in our relationships. And we're not saying that if your spouse is mad at you, just bear your testimony. <laughs> but that probably wouldn't hurt, right? But that was a great example. And I love how Nephi, as he wrote this, used manner of language in both of them. This is the manner of language my mother used. Mm-hmm. This is the manner of language my father used. Right. And I think we've both been on both sides of that. And I appreciate that, you know, that Nephi is calling our attention to that. Yes. And thank you, honey, because I, I think you have talked me off the ledge more than I've ever uh, talked you off the ledge. But <laughs> So here's Elder Hafen. He says, the difference between a successful and unsuccessful marriage is not and whether there are such times of tension, or in other words, not, it's not whether we have arguments or not, or conflict or not, it's whether and how the tensions are resolved. So it's not, do we have conflict or not? Because if we have conflict, boy, we are in trouble. In fact, when I was in graduate school, one of my favorite theories to study was called conflict theory. I loved it. And what came out of conflict theory was the idea that people can become stronger and better, and marriages become, become stronger if there's conflict, A, but also if we can manage it, learn from it, heal from it, and apologize to each other, conflict can be a good thing. So it's, it's how those tensions are resolved. And, and there we go. So another, another thought that we want to share with you, and I'm just going to quote here from Brent Barlow for a minute, because this article that was printed in the Ensign years ago called The Highs and Lows of Marriage, we, rep- we, we recommend it to all of you. He said, the fact that there would be disputes and misunderstandings in relationships is acknowledged in the scriptures. The Savior knew that there would be personal confrontations in daily lives, even among his disciples, past to present. And noting this human tendency, he frequently admonished his followers to seek reconciliation and forgive each other. Because of the mortal weaknesses to both give and receive offenses, such wisdom still is extremely relevant for husbands and wives in contemporary times. And then Brother Barlow said, some couples may become discouraged at times and want to terminate their relationship. Although there may be instances where divorce is the only answer, there also exists the danger of uprooting something with potential good, just to get rid of something else 
that temporarily appears to be bad. Now, Janie, why don't you tell the next part of that story? It's awesome. Susan and I learned this not long ago when we planted grass in our backyard. As it started to grow, so did the crabgrass. So many neighbors and friends told us about the crabgrass in our new lawn that we soon began to believe that the crabgrass would prevail. And for a while it did. The neighborhood consensus was that the lawn wouldn't survive. Anybody could see that just by looking at it. The crabgrass was so tall that the little blades of the new lawn were barely visible. One neighbor told us to simply start over. He showed us how to spray the yard with a chemical that would kill everything. Another neighbor offered us his tiller. We were so discouraged, to say the least. It had taken us several months to get even this far with our new lawn. We'd had to dig up rocks, bring in topsoil, level, fertilize, and prepare the area for the lawn seed. While we were trying to make a decision, I stopped by a greenhouse one day with a few blades of the crabgrass. I described our plight to an elderly man who looked like he knew something about plants and grass. That's not crabgrass, that's orchard grass, he said. Just give your lawn a little more water, a little more fertilizer, and time. As the new lawn grows, it will soon crowd out the orchard grass. We followed his advice, and now we have a backyard of beautiful, thriving lawn. There's a great lesson right there, right? Of That when there's conflict... And the temptation is just to rototill the whole yard up or to light it on fire. <laughs> that maybe there's something that could be done to save it. And and maybe the solution isn't even that huge of an intervention. It's probably maybe something really simple. And I like I like how he says that it just needs time. It needs fertilization. It needs water. It needs sunshine. And sometimes with our marriages, maybe we just need more fertilizer. Maybe we need more attention to it. We need just more time. We need, you know... Yeah. All those good things. We need to nurture each other, which really leads to our last point today. We'll call this principle number five, to be each other's cheerleaders. I love the idea. We used to call Wednesday night activities in our youth program the Mutual Improvement Association. Every marriage should be a Mutual Improvement Association. In fact, Judith Wallerstein, I think one of the great researchers in the country on marriage, said the main task of every marriage... From the early days of the relationship to the very end is for each partner to nurture the other, she said. In fact, she said, love begins with paying attention. In a marriage that doesn't provide nurturance and restorative comfort can die of emotional malnutrition. So there's, Janie, back to what you just talked about, this idea of being each other's cheerleaders. Yeah, and that just goes back to the Kelly Ripa quote that we opened with about how we pull each other up the hill. We push each other up the hill. And then when we make it, we cheer for each other, right? We're not in competition with each other. We are there to support, help, lift, and build. Yeah. And I think that's, and that's so crucial. That's what being crucial. a cheerleader means. I mean, if you want to have a healthy marriage relationship, if you, want, if you want to have a healthy relationship with anyone, there has to be positivity. You know, there has to be compliments and praise and building and lifting and I love this verse in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, where, where Paul says that, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace to the hearers. In other words, we say things that edify. In my mind, we say things that heal, that build, that bless. And I just always go back to John Gottman, you know, his five to one ratio. There's got to be five positive interactions to every one negative so that the relationship will thrive. And that's just not for marriage. That's for any, with our children, grandchildren, neighbors, it's for everyone. But I also think that the marriage relationship is the most important relationship, you know, that we need to focus on. 
this is the person in our life that we've made covenants with. This is the person we've or made vows with, you know, to love, honor, cherish, you know, for this life or forever. And sometimes it's the person that we treat the worst, you know, that yeah. we need. This is the person that should know us the most intimately and we should be there for each other. Like this should be our prime focus in our life. Yeah. Well, you, you use the word prime. So what did President Nelson say? I think he said that if marriage is going to be the prime relationship in our life, which it should be, it deserves prime time, right? And so, yes, time, attention, nurturing, but positivity for sure. Years ago, one of the general authorities used to tell this story, and we've always liked it, so we thought we'd share it. He said, I remember a grandmother who had been widowed early in her life and was moving out of her home. Her granddaughter, about to be married herself, was carefully helping her pack the boxes of dishes and faded towels. See that sewing machine over there in the corner? The grandmother asked. Your grandfather always left his hat there when he came home in the evening. I used to scold him for it all the time. Just put your hat on the hook, I'd say. Why does your hat always have to be on the sewing machine, messing everything up? Then one day he got pneumonia and died, leaving four little children and me to miss him for a lifetime. How many times through the years, I thought, what I would give to see that hat on the sewing machine placed there by his own hand. Like the grandmother in this story, we too often let trifles cloud our vision. We get caught up in non-essentials or in the multitude of meetings, both in and out of the church, that have no particular meaning or purpose. We sometimes nag the people we love the best. Over little intentions, small faults, mere nothings in the whole scheme of things. Instead of treasuring the all-too-rare moments we share with our dear ones, we pick at faults, imagined or otherwise. How many of us say to our wives, our husbands, our children, why can't you do this? Why don't you do that? Or someday when I have the time, hmm. dot, dot, dot. So. Yeah. It reminds me, honey, of uh, my tie that I hang on all the banisters and doorknobs every day and <laughs> wonder what, you, what you're thinking about that, so... Or the dish towel that you rip off and <laughs> leave on the counter all day long. <laughs> your, your decorative dish towel that no one is supposed to use. Um, I know that I'm, I'm guilty. I just need to enjoy that you threw the dish towel <laughs> on the counter. <laughs> that it's still in the kitchen, right? And then he said this. He said, our last daughter left for college this past month, and the 18 years of daily living with her were suddenly over. Where had they gone? What minute, what hour, what day or night had swallowed up all of those joyous, giggling, growing up years? The first night she was away... I slipped into her bedroom and looked at her, her and I'm, we're just going to say her, her MP3 player, but I thought of all those times I had mechanically said, would you turn the music down? And then I thought, too, how often in the days ahead we'd be longing to hear that music. Thank God she and her parents have many wonderful memories to savor in the years ahead. And then he said, why do those sudden moments of clarity when we realize how precious our loved ones are come so rarely? And how do we let ourselves get caught up in fault-finding, digging, or scolding at those who are nearest to our hearts? Is it ever worth it? And then he said, as C.S. Lewis once advised, take care. It is so easy to rake eggs without making omelets. And I know every time I read that quote by C.S. Lewis or hear of it, I just think, oh my gosh, I wonder how many eggs I've broken over the years, you know, in our family or... With you, honey, hopefully you'll, you'll forgive me a time or two. <laughs> and then I love this. For those of us that are super busy, listen to this story. Do you remember Julia Ward Howe, who told a senator on one occasion, I am in need of help for a very special person? The senator said, Julia, I'm so busy, I can no longer concern myself with individuals. She replied, that's remarkable. Even God hasn't reached that stage yet. <laughs> and then the general authority concluded with this. 
The other night I was flying home from a distant conference. I had been away for only three days, but as the floodlights of the airport loomed, I welled up with anticipation and excitement. I felt as though I could have been a great hero returning from space. And what causes excitement? I was going back to my family. Does it have to take flights away from home, a child leaving for college, or the death of a husband who will never again leave his hat in an awkward place to remind us how sweet are the moments with our loved ones and friends? How brief they are in the run of time? Does it take these things to stop us in our picking and trifling faults to realize the beauty of every minute together? Almost goes back to where we started with President Hinckley saying, yes, there's cinders, there's jolts, there's all kinds of things on this train ride, but thank the Lord for having the ride. Right. right. Let's let's love our spouses. Let's look for the best. Let's look for the good and assume the good and not the bad. Yeah. And I think that's the, the best part of being a cheerleader mm-hmm. is just assuming the good, knowing that their heart is right. They're trying to do the best. And to focus on the, their good traits, right? And, and to focus of... on, yeah, their good traits. And as hopefully they're focusing on ours. <laughs> <laughs> right. So today, everyone, we've talked about five principles that we really like. Number one, enjoying the ordinary part of, of marriage, the everyday part. Number two, don't compare your marriage to the marriage of others. Number three, to be all in 100%. Number four, to remember that there's going to be opposition in everything that's going to include marriage and that conflict is okay. What we have to be able to do is manage the conflict. But then number five, to be each other's cheerleaders. So as we end today, we always say LDS, let's do something. Hopefully one of these is really kind of stuck out to you or rung true with you or thought, oh, you had a thought or an impression. Go with that. Do something to improve your marriage this week. Maybe share, even share this podcast with your spouse. That would be good and have a discussion. But whatever it is that stuck out to you, we appreciate you joining us. We are always so grateful that you're with us. And if anybody could benefit from this, please pass it along. Thanks so much and have a wonderful week. See you later. 